0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm Jonah McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, Dr. Duncan Castles has the ultimate tonic for those of you looking for the latest on David De Gea's new contract, But her scoop might not be the cure to Manchester United fans' worries that the keeper will not be staying at Old Trafford. After two defeats on the spin, Spurs' title ambitions lie in tatters once again. And with Madrid being crushed in the El Clasico, are the Pochettino to Real smoke signals ominous for the Tottenham fans? And Sam Allardyce has been on the radio saluting President Trump. We've decided to bite the bullet and put him in charge of the country. Well, he couldn't be any worse than Theresa May after all. We ask who he'll have in his super-sized cabinet. Well, Ian, have you finished putting your green pins in your Brendan Rodgers voodoo doll (laughs) then? Not at all, not at all.
1: Brendan will do very well at Leicester, and I know there's been a lot of anguish in Scotland about the way he's left Celtic, but um, I don't know. I think um, Celtic fans will be fairly satisfied with the first result under Neil Lennon and the idea they've got someone who's a, a true passionate, Celtic person at the helm
0: for the, to try and guide them over the line for the title That's not what you were saying in private Ian but let's just leave that there
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just want to say I'm ready to give my life for this podcast <laughs>
0: <laughs> We always use that to be the case Duncan Okay well I'm pretty sure Manchester United fans after that intro will be desperate to hear the latest news on David De Gea Duncan you've got a little uh, story on what's happening there
2: yeah, look, this is something we get asked about on the transfer window um, on a regular basis because De Gea's uh, contract situation hasn't been resolved um, for several years now. He's getting uh, into the period where he can realistically look to move to other clubs on a free transfer. His contract's been extended to the one-year option um, till 2020, but um, as of January um, Next year, he will be free to agree a pre-contract with any club he wants if he has not agreed a new deal with Manchester United. Um, there's been some reporting recently, as there has been, it has to be said um, all, all through this period, that Manchester United expect him to sign a new contract, confident it will be done. Um, they kind of upped the ante by uh, briefing that they were ready to pay De Gea what he wanted, which is... Um, the top to be the best-paid player at the club, on a par with um, Alexis Sanchez and Paul Pogba, which actually is a story um, we did on the, the transfer podcast and in the daily record um, transfer window column back in August, that that's what De Gea's demands were, that his um, his performances for Manchester United, um, since he's been at the club, he's been player of the year four times out of five. I think he's been the Premier League team of the year four times out of the last five. Um, merited him being placed on a par with Sanchez and Pogba as top earner. Um, what's happened since then is that there, there has been discussions um, between the club and the heirs' representatives, and what I'm told is the club has made it clear that they will not match the terms um, Alexis Sanchez was is being paid, uh, the money they gave Sanchez to get him. Um, from Arsenal uh, last January, um, uh, which uh, made him the best paid player in England at the time. Um, this has, of course, not been taken well by the um, and his representatives. And um, I would say that the situation um, is now extremely delicate in the sense that... Um, This is not perceived, this is not being perceived as a bargaining stance. This is being perceived as a definitive, you're not getting the money. um, Therefore, you will have to accept less, and we expect you to accept less. Um, And I think Manchester United, from what I gather, are confident that they will still be able to get a deal through on lesser terms. However, um, what I'm being briefed from the other side of this negotiation is that that will not happen. That they are well aware of De Gea's value. Um, that there are significant um, players in European football who would be prepared to match the salary terms um, that De Gea wants at Manchester United, were he to join them um, under freedom of contract in 2020. And on top of that, um, they note that uh, Chelsea paid 80 million euros to sign um, Kepa in the in the summer from from Spain, who's a, a backup a not particularly good backup you would say from his, his Premier League performances so far to De Gea in the Spain national team. So therefore if the if the valuation of a of a top goalkeeper um is 80 million euros, then there should be a significant signing on fee involved or or to be rolled into any package um that De Gea could get at another club. So um I think uh What I can say is that Manchester United have have placed themselves in a surprisingly complex decision with a player who I think most observers would agree um, has been the most consistent performer for the club and is the most um, important member of the defence. But it seems Ed Woodward does not think um, that those performances, those past performances, those continued performances, um, the fact that he has a a huge value in the transfer market, merits meeting um, the financial conditions that he and his representatives are asking for to extend his stay at Old Trafford.
1: I think De Gea's situation, in some ways, um, Duncan, is similar to what Courtois was at Chelsea. contract was running down. Negotiations um, were not progressing. Um, I think certainly that the negotiations with De Gea have been at uh, a more advanced stage than certainly the Courtois ones were, because Cour- Courtois was very open and told Chelsea he wanted to leave, and effectively put the gun to the head of the club and said um, I'm simply not staying so you have to uh, allow me to leave for Real Madrid, and of course <clears throat> in doing so with a year left in his contract was a fairly cheap option considering as a world-class goalkeeper in the top five for for sure compared to what Liverpool paid for Alisson Becker and what um, Chelsea uh, paid for Kepa Arizabalaga as well. So uh, in De Gea's particular case, one of the factors which is involved here, which is um, you can't really um, sort of measure its influence because it's one of those which is, you know, if if buts, why, why and therefore, um, is the fact that General G. Buffon's contract at uh, Juventus um, expires um, this summer. Uh, Juventus, sorry, with PSG expires this summer. There is an option to extend it by one year, but I think PSG are certainly looking for a longer term solution to that. And De Gea is effectively on the market, um, and <clears throat> his agents have made that clear to Manchester United that. They have a suitor club who will pay the money that has been asked for for him to stay at Manchester United. So that leverage is being applied. Um, I think you're absolutely correct in what you've said. Manchester United have said no. We're not going to pay um, what you're asking for. We're willing to pay somewhere near that, but certainly not to pay him more than any other player at the club or even parity. I think that's a mistake. I think the the example that we've seen in the prices that have been paid for goalkeepers in the Premier League and the, the two I mentioned, it means that it would be false economy for Manchester United to allow De Gea to leave um, on what would be a significantly reduced fee for what his value is to the club based on his contract running down. Uh, as I mentioned, it would be similar to the Courtois situation. Um, for our listeners, it, it, we should point out that most fees are decided not just by market value but by the player's salary and by the remaining um time on his contract and then you can effectively multiply that by 1.5 or times two and, and where that's where you get the fee for any player um in that situation but it's not going to be the 80 million pounds transfer fee or, or even the 100 million if you think about his excellence in the last five or six years at Manchester United that they could expect if he was under contract for another three or four years. So I think United do find themselves in a rock and a hard place on this one. Um, First of all, if they don't believe or if they're absolutely adamant that they're not going to offer the money that De Gea wants to stay, how much money is it going to cost them to find a suitable replacement? Um, And in doing so... um, the, the the cost of that plus wages plus transfer fee plus agents' fees, rather than just simply paying to hear what he wants and his agents' fee for the new contract and and keeping him as part of the club, seems to me like a bit of a no-brainer. To be honest, I don't see why you would make a choice opposite to that. But and it's a you know we have to say there is a precedent here, which has come to light in the last six weeks, and that is Aaron Ramsey at Arsenal who literally, they they ended contract negotiations with him, even though in the knowledge that they would have to spend uh, much more money to buy a new midfielder who could replicate Ramsey's importance and um, influence in the team, but um, decided instead to end negotiations allow him to join Juventus on a free freedom of contract where he is earning the kind of money, almost to which... De Gea expects to earn should he go elsewhere. So it's a situation which I find bizarre because Manchester United are not cash poor. It's not like they can't afford the contract which De Gea wants. So therefore, they should be looking at it more seriously, I think. And I kind of suspect this will end in an agreement between De Gea and Manchester United. But it's certainly the case that right now um, there is an impasse.
2: I think look, there's two things here. I think there is a difference with Courtois' situation in that Courtois wasn't happy at the club, wanted to leave for personal reasons, wanted to leave for football reasons. Chelsea essentially had the option sell him uh, last summer or lose him for nothing. He'd, he'd made it absolutely clear. In De Gea's case, De Gea wanted to sign a new contract at Manchester United um, a couple of seasons ago. He was open to it, he was, was actively um, asking... United to um, extend his contract, prove his terms and Ed Woodward did not want to engage with that. So he had the the opportunity to um, to keep the hair at the club long term for less money than it would cost him to uh, keep him now and he's As he has done, and this is by no means simply David David De Gea's contract we're talking about, he's done it with player after player after player, which is allow the contracts to run down sometimes into that final year option before um, renegotiating long term. So this has been a, a strategy of United's, which I presume is about keeping the wage bill down. So the calculation was, we are paying De Gea this much money. If we give them an improved contract now, that's going to cost us X million more um, over the next two years that we don't have to spend. We can wait till the final year of the contract, give them a new one there and, and then save money. It just doesn't work that way for players of, of De Gea's status. The, 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 uh, Duncan, we- sorry to
1: interrupt, but you believe that... that, that- actual cost we're in 15 million euros net is that correct
2: yeah we're talking what well, the Pogba Pogba Sanchez are in the region of 15 million euros net as the top earners so that's what the level wants to be put on um but the the point here is that the that the cost increases almost exponentially in football at present and what you said about um making a poor calculation over a player who's already at the club is, is very very relevant here because once you let the player get down to this stage where he has the leverage of saying I can leave for free um, be it in 18 months time or 12 months time or I can negotiate a contract with another club in less than 12 months time for free once you give him that leverage you forget about thinking you have an advantage in that he's already your employee As far as wage negotiations go, you have allowed him to become a free agent. You're now on the market with all the competitors. What the competitors are prepared to offer him is what you're going to have to match unless you can convince him for some other reason that it's preferable for him to stay at the club. And in Manchester United's case, what is that other reason? That you get to stay in English football. You get to stay in Manchester away from his partner who who lives in Madrid. Um, You get to stay at a club that's challenging for the Premier League title for the Champions League. Um, I don't think any of them are particularly persuasive arguments at, at present. So you are um, competing directly on fin- you're now competing directly in financial terms with with other clubs that are interested in the player, regardless of the fact he's still your player. So if you're not prepared to go direct and say, "Okay, we buy," we've put ourselves in a difficult position. We meet, we we match or better the terms that you are offered elsewhere, because we understand that actually we're not gonna find a better replacement than you. You know, that, that's the second part of this equation. If you're not if you're not prepared to pay the money because you're saying you're already our player and we don't want to, to give you the top wage for whatever reason, because so we don't think you're worth it. Then your calculation has to be, who'd you get in to replace him? And, and how much is it gonna cost you to replace him? And but example here, Jan Oblak, who um, wear the hair to leave, um, you would think would be a candidate in that list of, of top goalkeepers in the world as a potential replacement. Not as good as De Gea, in my view, um, but you'd see him being a candidate. He has just signed a contract extension at Atletico Madrid, a less wealthy club that's worth 15.5 million net per year. So um, that that's the price on the market at present. And I think United are putting themselves in an incredibly dangerous position if they're going to stick to this line of We're not going to pay you what you want um, and we're going to call your bluff and see if you leave. Because I think you will leave if they don't pay him what what he wants.
0: Okay guys, well that's pretty concerning for Manchester United fans, but we'll move on to another set of fans that are probably quite concerned after two Premier League defeats on the bounce. The first one to Burnley and then to Chelsea after Spurs lost 2-0 at Stamford Bridge. Where does this leave Maurizio Pochettino, guys? We've obviously discussed the potential for a move to Real Madrid in the summer. Uh, and certainly, given their current form, I mean, they were smashed by Barcelona in the El Clásico, you would think that they might step up attempts to grab Maurizio Pochettino, and the manager might be more inclined to go, given how it's going at the moment.
1: I think this is a developing one, Johnny. Um, My reading of Pochettino's uh, public statements um, is of a man who is becoming increasingly frustrated um, by the position he finds himself in at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I I was very surprised uh, to hear him say in his um, pre-match press conference for the Chelsea game that it would take 10 years for Spurs to win a title in terms of squad development, investment, and recovering from obviously, um, that's what the, the elephant in the room was recovering from the £1.2 billion bill for the new stadium. Now, considering this is a Spurs team who could have won the league in the year that Leicester City did, had they not had a bad run of results towards the end of the season, um, a Spurs team who um, only two weeks ago were five points off the top and now find themselves nine points. Um, away from Liverpool, uh, with 10 games to go. And again, he, and he said last uh, after the Chelsea game, he said it's now impossible for Spurs to win the title this season. OK, nine points, 10 games. Is it really impossible? Have you looked at the fixture lists that Liverpool and Manchester City both have? It's not possible. But this negativity, this um, constant and consistent sense of self-defeat, says to me... Here's a guy who's thinking, okay, I'm 46. Um, I think and I and I th- and I believe that he has the choice of managing tour of the biggest clubs in the world. This summer and that's Manchester United and Real Madrid. Do I want to wait around at Spurs for 10 years to try and win a title if that's what he really thinks? Do, do, do I want to spend, you know, any more time in my coaching career? having already been at that club and failed to win a trophy? And remember, he's failed to win any trophies in his coaching career thus far. Or do I take my opportunity, while my stock is still high, to move to a club where, first of all, I will have a very talented and um, quality squad of players at my disposal. I'll also have um, a very um, good budget to buy new players and shape a squad in the mould that I would like them to be, and um, I think Pochettino's words say more about his own ambitions than you know a lot of Spurs fans will allow themselves to believe, and that is that he he does want to go, he he does want the opportunity to be released by Spurs to go pursue his own personal ambition elsewhere, and that being the case, it's that choice. Um, Everyone and their granny obviously believes that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be appointed as Manchester United manager full-time come the summer. Well, we talked about David De Gea and his contract negotiations earlier in the pod, and in those negotiations, De Gea's representatives asked straight out who's the manager next season, and they were told, we can't tell you. Now, that suggests to me, and I think it makes you know logical sense, that United haven't yet decided that Solskjaer will get the job and perhaps the only reason they haven't decided is because they're wondering, or indeed, they know that Pochettino may well be available. I think, um, and I think everyone else in this country will agree that Pochettino to Manchester United is a much more difficult negotiation and move um, from Tottenham because of Daniel Levy's stance about undermining his own club by... um, allowing precious assets to leave uh, for contenders. Uh, But is Pochettino more inclined to stay in the Premier League and manage Manchester United than he is to go to Real Madrid, where you have to say um, their managerial record of sackings has been pretty um, sort of equivalent to United's. But I would imagine I would, in fact, I would, happily um, prospect that uh, United are looking for uh, stability now having had five managers since Sir Alex Ferguson that they want someone to come in and create some kind of um, atmosphere and foundation that they can build on rather than this culture of sacking managers after eight months or year and a half or two years or two years and three months they would prefer that and that Pochettino if available would is certainly someone who they would want to employ. Now, the other thing we know, Duncan, is that you know the fans have been crying out for Pochettino, to, uh, for um, Solskjaer to be given the job. But we also know that the Glazers you know, are more likely to listen to whistles in the wind than they are to the fans. So where does that leave Pochettino in terms of Edward Woodward and the Glazers?
2: I think, look, with, with Pochettino... But you know, strip it back. He's now going. He's going to. I think he's just coming up for ten years in senior management as a football manager. And he's unless something incredible happens in the Champions League, he's going to end that decade without a title. Um, he is repeatedly saying this season things, as you mentioned, it it could take five years. It could take ten years to turn this turn Tottenham into a a title winning team we're getting this and you know basically on a fortnightly basis i think through this season it's um there's a problem here um i've taken i've taken this squad as far as i can something needs to change um there needs to be investment we haven't had investment in the team for a while he keeps saying these things and he's saying them with irregularities never said before what are the reasons for that uh, let's take the most the, the the interpretation that was probably um most palatable to Tottenham fans. He's trying to put pressure on Daniel Levy to give him money next season. Could be, but Mauricio Pochettino is a clever man and he knows just how much is the overspend on the stadium is and he knows how difficult Tottenham's financial books are. Um, so I don't think he's got any great expectation that he will get the significant sums required to take the team to uh, the next level next season. So I, I think you probably exclude that. Second one would be, he's getting his excuses in early. Um, you know, he he probably figures that eventually, people will stop saying positive things about him. Stop writing the pieces about how he's the best manager in the division and what a spectacular job he's done. Um, if he can't take it on to the next level, and he has done a good job, it's clear he's done a good job, but there is something missing there. Uh, in in these key games, he's had opportunities. As you as you pointed out, the season Leicester City won the league was a a wonderful opportunity. If you talk to coaches in football about the quality of the squads in the Premier League, universally they'll say Tottenham have a great first team. They have superb talent in that squad, and and that's a squad that would be appealing to manage. So then the other one other option becomes what you're suggesting, which is Pochettino. Signalling to his suitors, um, I am ready to uh, make a move. Don't forget about me. And and I think it comes at a time where you know there is an argument. If, if we, we, we you go back to our podcast um, when Mourinho was sacked, Pochettino was the clear and outstanding favourite for the Manchester United job. That situation has changed in the course of a few weeks. To a point where the players at Manchester United want Solskjaer, uh, the fans desperately want Solskjaer, and he is, you know, he's the the point of least resistance um, option for the Glazers. Madrid, I think, um, as you say, there's there's question marks over whether um, he is as strong a candidate for them as he was last summer, and there might be other individuals coming onto the market in the summer um, who. Florentino Perez would choose ahead of him. Um, Jose Mourinho was offered the opportunity to come back to Madrid this season while he was still at Manchester United and turned it down. Uh, he's obviously now available. Uh, Massimiliano Allegri um, may well be coming to the end of his period at Juventus. He um, was also of interest, great interest to in Madrid in the summer. Um, so he could be on the market. And in terms of a proven coach... Um, at that level, who has delivered silverware, silverware um, who is popular with these players, um, flexible, uh, good handling a dressing room. He, there's a big argument that Allegri would be uh, the safer choice than Pochettino. So, where does that leave Pochettino? Maybe, maybe as you suggest, he's getting a bit concerned um, that uh, he's gone from being in a unique position of apparently having a choice between Madrid and Manchester United, despite never having won a trophy as a manager, to um, having to fight a bit to, be, uh, to remain at, the, at the, the summit of consideration um, to be the next manager of those two clubs.
0: Onto the quickfire round now, and after super size Sam Allardyce was extolling the economic virtues of President Trump on radio today, we've decided to test the fibre of his fabric and put him in charge of the country. I'm going to ask the boys who he'd put in charge of our great departments of state. Duncan, Europe first. Who would be Sam Allardyce's Chancellor of the Exchequer? <laughs>
2: I think um, I think Super Size Sam would uh, would go for one of his uh, his old mates in that position, um, with a, a great knowledge of uh, international finance um, and tax systems, and uh, and an ability to put uh, the inland revenue um, in their place and get them to do exactly what he needs. Um, I, I think that job
1: would have to go to Harry Redknapp.
0: Ian, Foreign Secretary.
1: Um, it's hard. It's a it's, it's difficult one to, um, you know, who could succeed the wonderful Boris Johnson, even though obviously he doesn't hold that post anymore, having resigned it. Um, but I think Neil Warnock, you could like see Neil Warnock with a Boris Johnson wig on, um, <laughs> saying exactly the same things, making exactly the same faux pas in his um, messages to... Um, world leaders and, and, and general sort of uh, situations, which are very sensitive, with regards to diplomacy. So, um, given the the way he he dealt with Brexit to try and deflect from one of his team's bad defeats, then um, yeah, I think uh, Neil Warnock mm-hmm. has got more than a, a hint of the ability to uh, avoid the questions that matter. Like, which is obviously a fundamental quality in any proper uh, politician
0: an awful lot of gammon in this cabinet. Um, <laughs> Duncan, um, are you going to change that with your secretary for Scotland?
2: Secretary of State for Scotland, um, for big Sam Ardice. Um, I think he would be looking to give that job to a man who knows the country well. Um, someone who's obviously ready to give his life for the people of Scotland, um, but only in 18 months' time when he's been sacked by Leicester City. So that, that job will go to Brendan Rogers.
0: <laughs> Harsh. <laughs> he's always been a Scotland fan Brendan so it would be an appealing job for him <laughs> right final one for you Ian who would be the secretary for health well given the revelations
1: and indeed um, the um, emergency ward situation which occurred at Old Trafford last Sunday afternoon Um Against Liverpool. I think Oliguna Solskjaer has to pick up the tab for um, the health, the NHS, regarding injuries to his players. There's only so many MRI scans and CAT scans that we can afford uh, in this country, um, just for the actual normal people, never mind the footballers. So um, I would like to um, nominate Oliguna Solskjaer to be Secretary of State for Health and, and hope that he um, employs Manchester United's very um, uh, wealthy and uh, vertiginous um, uh, private health care for its players rather than sending them down to the uh, World Infirmary.
0: Well, he's performed a miracle at Manchester United. Perhaps he can perform a miracle and save the NHS from the Tory <laughs> that run it currently. <laughs> politics, politics. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, a, as a famous comedian once said. One thing, guys, I'm, I'm quite disappointed that there isn't a role for Maurizio Sarri in there. Somewhere. No, no,
1: no, no. I've got this covered. I've got this covered, Johnny. Okay. He should be special ambassador to the Basque country <laughs> after his recent uh, wonderful relationship with Kepa Arizabalaga um, was shown to be uh, something of, well, let's just say farcical. Um, I think he needs to make amends. Uh, with the people of the Basque. And we know that they treat their players um, as idols. Um, we know that Athletic Bilbao still, bizarrely, in 2019 only play Basque players. I mean, you know, if you're talking about Graham Sinister's Rangers, Athletic Bilbao make, make them look like saints in the Catholic sense. So um, I'm going to nominate Sari to be special ambassador to the Basque country.
0: Yeah, we know that um, the British government has always had a great relationship with the Irish. So for me, uh, I think it's important that we appreciate that and the historical context of that and go for the Irish ambassador, uh, Thierry Henry. (laughs) Well, you'll make a good fist of it. (laughs) Well, on that pun, I am going to slam this particular transfer window shut. But fear not, we're going to be back on Monday to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate we are all on twitter and we even have our own transfer window official account at transfer podcast if you want to talk to us individually i'm at johnny r mcfarlane and more importantly our pundits are at garbo sj that's for ian and at duncan castles well i'm pretty sure you can guess who that's for if you like the podcast and we know thousands of you do please give us something back by popping onto itunes it's really really important as it helps push the podcast up the list of uh, sports podcasts and iTunes and helps us get as many listeners as possible. So please go in there and do that. Until Monday, thanks for listening.